Oh, we all know that sound all too well, don't we? That's the sound of the fetal heart tracing, of course, during continuous fetal monitoring. The world of obstetrics has gone through enormous changes. We all get that, and nobody will deny that. But nowhere has that biggest shift been more prominent than what has been considered the viability weeks of gestation. Does the gestational age boundary between what has been known as viability and non-viable has shifted dramatically just within the last 50 years, and more so even within the last 15 years In 1971, listen to this, a widely used neonatology textbook stated that the lower limit of viability was probably around 28 weeks, at which time the infant's weight, which was about 2 pounds and 4 ounces, or 1,000 grams, was enough to sustain extrauterine life. 28 weeks? We're way beyond 28 weeks now. Today, the most immature infants routinely can be cared for at many parts of the world starting at 22 weeks and zero days. And of course, some of those babies weigh well under the 1,000 gram mark, weighing just around 500 grams. While most studies report on neonatal resuscitation at 22 weeks give a main outcome as alive at discharge, there are a lot of potential long-term morbid conditions that cannot be ignored when the child undergoes, quote, successful, end quote, resuscitation at 22 weeks. The ability to perform neonatal resuscitation at 22 weeks and zero days has led to a lot of powerful ethical debates and published commentaries. So in this episode, Episode, we're going to take a look at the complexities of neonatal resuscitation at 22 weeks. And we're going to focus on the potential long-term morbidities that can happen here after discharge. So we've decided to call this Beyond the 22-Week Birth. Lots to cover here, so let's get into today's episode now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves really fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, everyone. Just right off the bat, remember that back in August of 2022, we actually released two episodes uh, on this topic called the 22-week birth. And then one was immediately the next day, it was on magnesium sulfate at 22 weeks because there's a little bit of, uh, of discrepancy in the guideline there about the earliest that you can give steroid, yet mag is not uh, really uh, a consideration until 23 weeks while steroids may be administered starting at 22 and zero. So there's little, this is little gap there, uh, according to the college, in terms of interventions for 22 weeks and zero. And we covered that back in August of 2022. And now we're building back upon that because of a a publication that came out in the fall of 2023 
And so we're, we're, we're just continuing this mini-series that's taken us, I guess, since August of 2022. So this would be the third installation in this kind of topic realm, all right? And to be very clear, this is not a rehash of all of that information. The focus on this episode is more on the... Uh, on the stuff after discharge. That's what we're calling it beyond the 22-week birth, okay? Um, Because even though we kind of touched on that in August of 2022, we've got a lot more data uh, that's accumulated uh, in the literature. And and there's things that we really need to remind ourselves frequently because when this thing happens, this this 22-week and zero a potential birth, man, I mean, this throws the entire unit for a loop. It gives us extra stress. And so the first thing I have to say, of course, just to be evidence-based is if there's any way uh, to do whatever intervention that can gain time safely for the baby and the mom, then obviously do it, all right? Because 22 and zero, just the ability to have viability uh, doesn't mean that viability is insured. And there's a great quote I want to share with you in just a minute uh, that I read from a neonatology journal. So 22 in zero is the just the ability to have viability it doesn't guarantee viability. So for the purposes of this episode, we're focusing on that one week, that little interval, 22 and zero to 22 and six, because that's the gray zone, okay? That's the difficulty, not under uh, 22 weeks and zero days. In other words, 21 weeks and six and below, where ACOG says, I mean, there's just there's just no hope there, right? It's just extreme prematurity, mainly because of uh, CNS immaturity and um, uh, uh, inability to, to ventilate those lungs. So 21 and six and below, is just not what we're talking about here. That is just pre-viable uh, on anybody's count. But the focus is 22 and 0 and 22 and 6. Things are very different uh, 23 weeks and above, which has its own set of issues. But this this extremely peri-viable slash viable uh, uh, boundary, this sitting on this line of the 22-week the mark, 22 and 0 to 22 and 6, is, is very complicated. And as ACOG reminds us, remember that uh, back in its uh, bulletin on peri-viable birth, that there's just really nothing that can be done between 20 and 0 and 21 and 6. So that's a whole different issue. So we're not talking about 23 weeks and above, and we're not talking about 21 weeks and 6 days and below. You see, this is why this is super confusing, right? Because all of those weeks, all those numbers that we just discussed, according to the college, according to obstetrical care consensus number 6, that was back in October of 2017, all of those are under one big bucket of periviable birth. All right. So ACOG considers periviable birth a very diverse uh, bucket filled with a lot of potential problems and a lot of, of different morbidities and outcomes. Right. So in the bucket of periviable birth, it's anything from 20 and zero. Right. Remember, under 20 weeks, that's considered still uh, an abortus. So 20 and zero to 25 and six is what ACOG, according to, again, obstetrical care consensus number six, that's considered the periviable birth interval. But in that periviable, you've got previable, like 20 weeks and zero to 21 and six. You've got extremely um, 
uh, early periviable uh, or viable, which is the 22-week mark now, uh, and then a baby that's completely different than those, which is the 25-weeker. But everything is periviable, according to the college, in that uh, range. So 20 and 0 to 25 and 6 is a huge bucket. So if you're ever asked, well, what's your management for the periviable birth? Your first thing is, um, that's like a five-week span, and those babies are completely different at the two ends of the extreme. From 20 and 0, where there's just like no chance of survival outside of the womb, or 25 and 6, where there's an extremely high chance of survival and 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 Honestly, they do quite well considering, uh, and you should fight for those. So can you be more specific? Because that's a huge neighborhood, uh, and I need you to bring me down to a specific address here, okay? Because 20 and 0 to 25 and 6, all of that, according to the college, is termed peri-viable birth. Everyone, before we get into the specific data that I wanted to get into, but, but I, I have to cover this because you see how confusing this is. And then when people talk about, you know, something like 22 weeks or 24 weeks, somebody always raises their hands and go, wait a minute, how does that work out now? What, what does that mean? And, and I have a whole episode on this in the archive. Remember, is it 24, um, like you're complete at 24 weeks or is the baby completed weeks at 24 uh, and six? You know, how does that work? You remember that? We have an episode on that. So you got to go back into the archive. But as ACOG very clearly stated in this obstetrical care consensus on periviable birth, it states, quote, for consistency and clarity in the document, gestational age summarized in weeks refers to the completed weeks of gestation and the next six days. So in other words, 24 weeks of gestation means 24 and zero. That's the completed week through 24 and six. And when it says before 24 weeks, it means before 24 weeks and zero. So as we're relating that and applying it to what we're talking about here, 22 weeks and zero means 22 weeks and zero days completed up until 22 weeks and six, which is why we're focusing on that in this episode. When we said earlier that things move quickly regarding the ability to do neonatal resuscitation at this super early gestational age, um, I mean, it really does. Look, ACOG, you, you know, did give the recommendation for antenatal corticosteroids at 22 weeks and zero um, in September 2021, okay? But that's quite different than a lot of the feel and the verbiage from 2017 in its obstetrical care consensus number six on periviable birth. In that 2017 consensus opinion, I mean, look at these numbers that it's right out of ACOG. I'm going to read it to you because you're like, well, well lizards are terrible. Yes, but just from 2017 to now, um, th- those numbers have changed which is raising this concern of, well, just because we can do something, should we? And I want to be very clear, guys, and I'm going to say this several times during this episode. This is not to dissuade anybody from doing a neonatal resuscitation at 22 weeks. And it's definitely not uh, to say absolutely all fires uh, in, all fires lit for 22 weeks and zero. That there's a place in the middle and it has to do of course, what's in the middle is patients' wishes with informed dissent that are uh, consent that it's realistic with the potential long-term morbidity that we're going to discuss here, all right? 
Because once again, just because you can get to a 30% survival uh, at discharge at 22 weeks now, which is much better than the uh, you know, 10%, which it was before, um, survival to discharge, is that really what we want? Or do we want a fruitful life, quality of life without severe um, neurological impairment? Okay, and that, I'm, not, there's, I'm not making an answer for that. That's for the patient to decide. But it's really our job to be very frank, uh, have very difficult conversations that, yes, 22 weeks, babies can be resuscitated, but can be and successfully done and free of complications or completely uh, other stories. Okay, so again, back in 2017, ACOG states, quote, among infants born at 22 weeks and zero to 22 weeks and six. All right, guys, that's what we're talking about right here. Right. That's the focus of this episode. ACOG states death rates were 97 to 98 percent. All right. OK, wait a minute. So let, let, I think I need to stop there for a minute because <laughs> death rates of 97 to 98 percent. You're like, well, when was this? All right. So those are not recent numbers okay that's historically that was between 2008 and 2011 so we we are not at that now i'm going to tell you what our our current survival rate is uh, at 22 weeks and zero it's around 30 percent although some reports some centers uh outside of the u.s uh which we'll get into in a minute say have gotten up to a 50 percent that's remarkable but that's a loaded statement, and I'm going to explain it in a minute. But again, historically, ACOG says, listen how these numbers change. This is my point. Between 2008 and 2011, the death rates between for those born between 22 and 0 and 22 and 6 was 97 to 98%, with just 1% surviving without neurodevelopmental impairment. Um, Wow. So that's where we are at, all right? So that's that's the foundation. That's the history. Uh, now, obviously, it's not a 97 to 98% um, still death rate at 22 weeks. That's why we're talking about this. And yeah, based on who you read, uh, in highly trained, specialized uh, centers, we're talking about level three or level four NICUs, survival rates anywhere from 30% Uh, Up to 50%, I'm going to give you that, again, that reference in a minute, have been reported, but that's defined as survival to discharge. There's stuff after the 22-week birth that we need to discuss, and that's why we're doing this, all right? I also found it interesting, of course, remember, and we talked about this August of 2022, that while ACOG says steroids at 22 weeks seems legit, the the recommendation for MAG, for neuroprotection, is not until 23 weeks. Well, if you're going to give steroids at 22, pretty much should give her mag. Now, the reason there's no firm recommendation is because there's no data. But as we talked about before in that previous episode, no data, no problem. If you're gonna, if you're all in, if you're patient, if the parents say, I want everything done for this child, and I'm aware of just the ability to have resuscitation, just the ability to have viability, and I'm aware of the long-term uh, real significant impacts that can happen here, and I'm all in. All right. If you're going to give steroids at 22 weeks, it, it, this is not guideline. This is my personal perspective. Be very clear. This is my uh, uh, the way I see the data. Uh, then it's not going to hurt to give mag. Now, is it going to help? It is absolutely unknown because the data hasn't reached that far down to be of sufficient to f- sufficient quality and quantity to make a recommendation. That's why ACOG says mag for neuroprotection. Uh, really can be considered uh, starting as early as 20. 
three weeks. All right, now that we've settled all that, I really do like that quote from um, this neonatology journal um, that viability at 22 weeks means just the capability of living, and that capability isn't always successful. Man, that's just a great way of saying that. Hey, viability is a loaded word. It has to do with the capability of living, and that capability is not always successful. My goodness. All right. Now, this is why this is important, because the the number of children being resuscitated at 22 weeks, not just in the U.S., but really internationally, um, is, is growing exponentially. All right. Now, remember, at 22 weeks, there's two different camps here that people have chosen. It's either universal resus, which means at 22 and zero with good dating, we're going to be all in. And patients have the option, of course, to opt out after that informed consent. All right. So that's everybody gets it. They have to opt out. So the default is 100 percent full steam ahead in an organized, structured, quick response team uh, all in. The other is the exact opposite. Is that crazy or what? Which is we're not going to do universal and it's going to be case by case slash selective based on patient preference. In other words, the default is no and patients have to opt in. We covered this in August of 2022 from a wonderful little um, uh, pros and cons commentary that had been published and we, we summarized that. So you can go back and listen to that episode. But that's really, you see how two di- two different dichotomous terms these are? It is all in and then they opt out or nobody gets it. They have to specifically ask to opt in. Okay, uh, but we got to figure this out because according to data that was uh, recently published from the CDC and the U.S. Vermont Oxford Network, that's a series of, of neonatologists and NICUs that pour data into a central database, that's Vermont Oxford, um, several hospitals in Dallas are part of Vermont Oxford reporting, between 150 and 250 infants are born in the U.S. every year at 22 weeks and zero to 22 weeks and six. Now, if you're thinking, wait, 150 to 250? Is that it per year? Yeah, that's a lot, guys. That's a huge burden because of this difficulty that we're talking about, all right? So one, thankfully, yet not super common, thankfully, uh, which is weird, right? Because we know what to do at the 23, 24, 25 week mark. Um, and we just had a case in labor and delivery um, with a, 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 a pregnancy that, uh, that's actually a loss at, uh, there's no heart tones at 20 weeks and zero. And so we know what to do with that. But but it's this gap here, again, this 22 and 0 to 22 and 6, that you're like, oh, I mean, super stressful. But yeah, I mean, that's 150 to 250. Um, and, and here's why this is super impactful. Because the chance of survival, guys, between 22 weeks and 22 and 6, compared to 23 weeks and 0, is five times less. How about that? The chance of survival is five times more at 23 weeks and zero than it is at 22 and zero to 22 and six. That's super telling. I told you that just that one week difference to a child is literally night and day. It is a long time. I mean, those are like dog years. 
All right. So uh, the, uh, the, the chance of survival at 22 and zero compared to 23 and zero is vastly different. And that's what we need patients to understand. That information was published in the journal Pediatrics in June of 2021, uh, and the title of this publication is In Immature Science, Intensive Care for Infants Born at Less Than or Equal to 23 Weeks of Gestation. All right, podcast family, let's take a brief, brief little break. Let that set in. Then we come back. We're going to talk about these varying rates of success at 22 weeks. I'm going to tell you about a Swedish study and how it's greatly different in results compared to a California study for these 22 weekers. Vastly different. Yeah, lots to cover. So let's get to that in just a minute. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sweden is phenomenal for a variety of places. Many times I visited, it's beautiful, um, but they kind of do medicine well. I mean, they, they just do. Now, they have a whole different healthcare system, uh, but when it comes to standardization, protocol, um, they just kind of figured it out. Now, the rebuttal to that in the West is, well, it doesn't allow for any independent thought. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> That's why they do so well. <laughs> because you get away from the, well, in my opinion. No, no, no. This is categorized. This is the structure. This is the protocol. Uh, and when it's, uh, when it's very standardized like that, you get very little variance of care. Uh, and so you can, you can minimize degrees of, uh, of gappage. All right. So there was a cohort study of Swedish infants that were born between 22 weeks up to 24. But I'm going to separate that and separate them in just a minute uh, that showed that infants that were born specifically at 22 weeks. Here it is, guys, had a 52 percent survival, 52 percent. Now, remember, put that back into contrast with what I read you from 2017 from the college where there was a 97 to 98 percent fetal death. Um, a newborn death when they were born at 22 weeks. So we've gone from 97, 98% death to here to basically 50% death rate. Now that's in Sweden, okay? Now here's the catch. 52% survival. Survival to what? Well, survival to discharge. And as you keep reading, it says, with 50% of those survivors having no neurodevelopmental impairment up to years 2.5 uh, years of age. Okay? So, 50% of 50. Is that good? Um, yeah. I mean, is that bad? Maybe. I don't know. It, that totally depends on how you look at it. So, 52% survival and 50% of those having no neurodevelopmental issues at 2.5 years of age. Now, when this came out, people were like, all right, wow, it's amazing. 50% survival with 50% having no neurological impairment at how old? 2.5. Okay. Yeah, that's important. But 
wow, it's kind of hard to gauge a lot of neurological impairment at 2.5, short of inability to feed themselves uh, or see or respond to sound, right? So you're like, give me the neurological data at five years. That's one of the rebuttals for this. The other rebuttal was, okay, fantastic. That's at a very specialized center with a uniform protocol with a lot of training. The fear is that people are going to pick up those numbers and run wild with that when it, it's not very generalizable to everybody, okay? And that's exactly uh, what we're now seeing. Now, I'm going to explain that in a minute. This data, first of all, from Sweden, came out in 2021 in Archives of Diseases in Childhood, Fetal and Neonatal Edition. Uh, now that we've said that, with a 52% survival, with 50% having no neurological impairment at 2.5 years, look how this varies by location based on a cohort of infants born at 22 weeks from California. Okay, so this is Cali. So this published data found that at 22 weeks, infants who survived to hospital discharge, 93.9% did survive, but with a major morbidity. So you're like, wait a minute, what? How, how are there these huge differences? And the answer is yes. Number one, Every single child at 22 weeks and zero is not the same. I mean, think about it. There's so many differences here. And that's something I'm going to discuss in just a minute. Weight of the child matters. Uh, oddly enough, the baby's, the parent's race matters. So let me just throw this off as a quick little side note. I was going to get into it later, but it's a good point here. If you have two babies, both born at 22 weeks and zero, one's a male, one's a female, who's going to do better? Hello? Anybody? Hello? It's the female. Hands down. We have plenty of epidemiological data that shows that. We have two babies, both 22 weeks and zero. And one is 490 grams and the other is 550 grams. Who's going to do better? No question. The one that's 550. But they're both at 22 weeks and zero. Do do y'all get what I'm trying to say here? Now, the third caveat is two babies, 22 weeks and zero. And... Uh, they're both female. They both weigh the same. So let's keep everything constant. But one is Caucasian, uh, European slash white. And then the other is uh, African slash black. Okay, so true Nigerian. Who's going to do better? It's the Nigerian slash the African-American slash the black patient. Why is that? There are things we can't understand. And guys, that's not my opinion. I'm not being weird about it. Um, This is exactly what the the data has shown since I was a resident. My goodness. So I remember Norman Gant, right? Now, so Dr. Gant, God bless him. uh, He was executive director of ABOG for many, many years. Uh, Proud to say that this pillar of, of, of MFM and a dinosaur back in the days of, you know, when the dinosaurs of, of obstetrics were still with us. Um, and I'm proud to have that the opportunity that Dr. Gant was one of my faculty. Gant as in one of the contributors, of course, to Williams Obstetrics. And at that time, limit of viability was around 24 weeks. Right? It's 24 and zero. Under that, it's really sketchy and people were very uncomfortable. But at 24 and zero, of course, we would fight for that child. Uh, and we'd have these 24-weekers and Gant would walk in. Uh, and and very very uh, vocally would say, hey, um, wh- wh- what is that child? Uh, how, is that a male or female? And that's a female. Oh, thank God. Okay. And what are her parents? And I see the mom. Mom's African American. What color is the dad? And we always thought that was so weird, like ew, inappropriate. Um, but I remember so well going, well, the father's black too. And he'd go, thank God. Uh, we got two winners right there. We have a twenty four weeker. 
uh, above 500 grams, and both parents are African American. He goes, we're, we're, we're going to fight for it. We're going we're to be all right. And what was he saying? Like, oh, that's kind of weird to say, man. I'm like, that makes you feel a little uncomfortable. But no, that's actually based on the data, even back then when I was a resident. And this data keeps repeating itself. And that's why you get some of these variances in success rates is that not all 22 weeks and zero are the same. Weight differences, sex differences between the two. Sorry, there's differences. Uh, and there's actually some, some racial, uh, ethnic differences that are actually protective. Uh, again, we've known this for a long time. Uh, it's definitely not my info. And it's just fascinating how that tends to be. Oh, hold on. Let's go back just very quickly as we wrap up this California cohort. By the way, this data was published September 2023 in the Journal of Perinatology. All right. So that's relatively recent, uh, just in the fall of, of 2023. So let's look at these numbers again. 22 weeks, those who survived to hospital discharge, 93.9% survived with a major morbidity. At 23 weeks, 89% of infants surviving to discharge did so with a major morbidity. So it got better, but but it's still, guys, it's still a lot. Remember, that's why we said 23 weeks, still kind of gray. That's why ACOG says you can kind of consider uh, MAG at this time. But at 24 weeks, here's where things really change, all right? From 24 to 28 weeks, the percent of infants who suffered from major morbidity nearly halved. It was 81% at 24 weeks. Again, those who went on to discharge who had a major morbidity, but it went to 42% at 28 weeks. So guys, and again, 28% at 28 weeks isn't great either. I mean, I, I'm sorry, 42% at 28 weeks is, is kind of high. Now it's less than 50%. Uh, and it does make the point, look at this downward trend of serious morbidity. All right. So you've got a 22 weeks, 93%, 23 weeks, 89%, 24 weeks that went down uh, to 81%. And then at 28 weeks, it goes down to 42%. So every single week, guys, that passes, that risk of major morbidity drops. But even at 28 weeks, guys, the babies are not free here. Those are small kids. And according to this California cohort, again, published September 2023 in the Journal of Perinatology, 42% uh, suffered from at least one kind of major morbidity born up to 28 weeks and zero. So that's why we were calling this beyond the 22-week birth, to say we can get them to discharge. Hey, we can make your, we, we can survive. We, we can get this baby held up, holding its own. And then, you know, kiss on the forehead, send them on the way and wish you well. There's things beyond the 22 week birth. Now, I did want to read those numbers exactly as it was in the journal because I didn't want to misspeak on those. So I read you those numbers exactly. I have it right here in front of me from the Journal of Perinatology. And it's just, wow, it's just really impactful when you hear that. It makes the case here, guys, that there's a lot of delicateness uh, to the child at 22 weeks and zero. Again, capability of living, capability, capability of viability is different than doing it successfully. All right. Very different. All to say this fetal development and this fetal adaption to life outside the womb is a continuum, obviously, and every day matters, every week matters, especially under the age of 25 weeks. So 
let's let that sit. And then I want to get into here some of the complexities uh, at 22 uh, weeks, being a 22-weeker, and why it's hard uh, having life outside of the womb uh, at that time. There's a lot of issues here, starting with hypothermia, the ability to ventilate the lungs, endocrine, uh, metabolic factors, renal factors, cardiovascular. I want to highlight these, uh, just run them down, kind of like a little tally, and then we're going to wrap this up very quickly, giving you this, the hard-hitting numbers, what this looks like uh, at surviving to discharge and what the numbers look like after discharge for the 22-week birth. Guys, before I give you the rest of the data, I got to tell you, I'm like hurting right now. I mean, oh my! I've got like one nostril that works. I don't know what the heck is happening. I've already swabbed myself. And I think I said this in the past. I'm like, how whiny can I be? I just, I, I don't feel 100%. Something is going on with me. I don't know if it's the, this weather that's coming. Because apparently hell is freezing over uh, in Texas. Like in the next 24 hours. Um, cows don't like that and neither do horses. So just let me throw that out there. Uh, it's going to be like booty cold and i don't know if the wind has kicked up some allergies but i feel so weird i got one working nostril and i have a what i consider a more than a normal amount of antihistamines in my system Uh, i I gotta knock this out and i got things to do so oh and you know what makes it worse can i just be honest guys um you know the y chromosome sensitivity to viral illnesses is just uh kicked up a notch and i've talked about this (laughs) before i got a buddy who uh, sent me a message uh, and he said, hey, I, I know, I heard that you were kind of sick. Oh, he was kind of sick. I said, I'm kind of sick too. And he goes, yep, that Y chromosome, man, that man cold business is just, I don't know what is going on. So anyway, so thanks for putting up with that. Um, I, I'm having somebody make sure I don't go too off track here with my medicated self. But I promise we're going to get through this and it's it's still going to work. All right. Um, if you wanted to know where that data was on babies doing different, even though they're at the same gestational age based on uh, uh, their gender, uh, based on their biological sex, uh, whether they're minority or not, uh, where, where that data comes from. Well, again, we've known it for a lot, many, many years, actually decades, but that was actually looked at again and published uh, just in 2022 in the Lancet Regional Health Americas, right? Now, of course, I'll post this on our list um, for our reference page, but it was in 2022 in the Lancet Regional Health Americas. The title of that publication is Survival of Infants Born at Periviable Gestation, the U.S. National Database. Again, 2022 in July, um, and it's from the Lancet Regional Health Americas. Let's keep moving here, talking about the complexities of a 22-weeker. Remember that one of the things that can get the baby even before it hits the NICU is temperature instability. The incidence of admission hypothermia is inversely proportional to gestational age. So remember that, big clinical pearl. The incidence of admission hypothermia is inversely proportional to gestational age. That's why these little 22-weekers, 23-weekers, they got to do the recess with them in that little Ziploc bag. Okay, they put in, they get wrapped in their little cellophane because they just do not have the ability to temperature regulate and they have high evaporative losses because of their relatively larger surface area uh, and their skin, man. They don't have any keratin. I mean, it's that transparent. Uh, you see the little blood vessels underneath the skin. It is literally radiating heat. It is amazing. That's actually been looked at with infrared cameras. And it's just like they're just like radiating the whole little bed. It's so fascinating, which is why they're just so delicate. 
In some centers, a majority of infants under 23 weeks are admitted to the NICU with moderate to severe hypothermia, and that has very well been published. So one of the difficulties here that contributes to their uh, morbidity is that temperature regulation. It's a big deal. And then, of course, at 22 weeks, the other big deal is breathing and respiration support. Respiratory management of a 22 to 23 weeker is super complicated because of the small size of both the mouth and the nares, the pharynx, the larynx, the trachea. And there's, of course, physiologic immaturity uh, to the alveolar tract itself. Now, there's scant data in the published literature about this, but most expert reviews say that sometimes you need a two millimeter. Guys, listen to that. Two millimeter internal diameter endotracheal tube for 22 weekers. And a lot of places don't have that. Two millimeter internal diameter for endotracheal tubes for some 22 weekers. That's insane. This is why this is so complicated and why those percentages for survival uh, and long term morbidities are so different because you see how complicated this is. Endotracheal tubes this small, once again, are just not routinely stocked in the majority of U.S. hospitals. That's why if you can't delay delivery, get them to a place, level three nursery, level four nursery, where this is actually on their shelf and the, the staff, the, the, the caregivers have the, the skills necessary uh, to intubate something that's small. And to make matters even worse, at 22 weeks to 23 and 6, those little babies are very susceptible to pulmonary interstitial emphysema and pneumothorax. So again, super complicated. This puts extra strain outside of the just the immaturity uh, of the 22-weeker. That puts extra strain on the cardiovascular system. There's a lot of potential of diastolic dysfunction here. Uh, there's uh, a lot of the fluid shifts that... Uh, the young uh, 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 neonatal heart is just not capable of dealing with. And so you get a lot of this uh, back pressure back into the lungs, uh, along with altered cardiac output. It's just insane how complicated this is. All of these factors, starting, of course, with the lungs and the heart to lead to this cascading, just downward spiral that's hard to, you're putting out one fire and another fire turns on from the endocrine system, uh, the renal system, of course. You've got the CNS, and that's so prone, of course, to interventricular hemorrhage just based on the friability of the germinal matrix and of the neuronal tissue uh, to begin with. Uh, this is why it's so difficult. That's why some of the publications say, hey, we're going to call success just survival to discharge. But there's things beyond hospital discharge. That's why we're doing this. And as we get ready to wrap this up, now let's talk about some of the potential long-term morbid issues um, beyond that discharge interval. All right. So let's talk about what, what these numbers actually look like, and then we'll bring this to a close. This next section comes from a, a, a variety of different sources, including the CDC, Vermont Oxford, international uh, uh, published data. It comes from the WHO. Uh, and and it comes from public uh, published commentaries. And so this is the aggregate. Here's what the numbers look like, taking all of that data, putting it together. Here's what we can counsel our patients on what to expect. A wonderful resource and something that would also be a good journal club review is out of the journal Nature. Again, journal perinatology. This is September 2023. This is Resuscitation, Survival, and Morbidity of Extremely Preterm Infants in California. 2011 to 2019, just published September 2023. 
let's take a look at these hard-hitting numbers based on the aggregate data and what's out there in literature. In best circumstances, anywhere from two to four of every 10 babies born at 22 weeks will survive to one year of life. So by default, six to eight of every 10 babies born at 22 weeks will not survive to age one year. In babies born at 22 weeks who survive to go home from the NICU, the chances of survival with or without mild, moderate, or severe disability look like this. About two in every 10 surviving babies will not have any kind of disability. That's about 20%. About four in every 10 surviving babies, or 40%, will have mild or moderate disability. And three or four of every 10 surviving babies will have a severe disability. Again, babies born at 22 weeks and zero who go home from the NICU, only two out of 10 will not have some kind of major morbidity in the long run. Cerebral palsy, retinopathy of prematurity, bronchopulmonary dysplasia, necrotizing enterocolitis, of course, long-term learning disabilities and neurodevelopmental delays and true big deficits are what is typically defined as moderate or severe long-term neurological impairment or neurodevelopmental issues. So what is best? Is it palliative care at 22 weeks and zero? Is it full resuscitation? I am definitely not answering that because remember, it all comes to the patient's shared decision-making. Just remember that a baby born at 22 and zero is completely different than one born at 23 and zero, 24 and zero, and so on. But these are difficult issues. And as, as we get this ability to do this resuscitation, these ethical conflicts and these dilemmas and these controversies uh, are, are going to stay with us. Again, go back, please, as we wrap this up and listen to that August 2022 episode. Uh, fascinating where we talk more about the ethics of it there. I wanted this to be more on the complexities uh, of actually doing the resuscitation and what we're talking about, why it's so difficult. And of course, beyond the 22-week birth, what these things look like at discharge. All right, let's bring this to a close. Lots, lots of things to consider here. Wow, it's just it's just insane that this is even a thing. When in 1971, neonatal resuscitation was at 28 weeks, um, and that was with okay odds. Now we're talking about 22 weeks. Amazing. But again, just because we can, does that mean that we should? Definitely not answering that in this episode. All right, podcast family, as always, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community, and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.